This is an ABC podcast. It's 50 years since the iconic television show Sesame Street made its debut. For decades, it had kids all over the world glued to the telly. A good reminder of the positive power technology can play in the lives of children. It's also perhaps a reminder that concerns about screen time go back a very long way indeed. Hello, Anthony Fennell here. Welcome as always. Today on Future Tense, we'll hear about three initiatives focused on education and technology. One involves teens and the other two, the very, very young, including children in preschool. We'll also talk about COVID-19 and the impact it might have on our attitudes towards children and their use of devices. Let's start first with Dan Donoghue, the Senior Advisor for Digital Issues at the Alana and Madeline Foundation, a not-for-profit child safety organisation. Dan has helped co-design an online site called Playing It Safe, which has only just been launched and which is designed as a resource to support early childhood educators and families as they help children learn the basics about technology, the internet and online safety. So Playing It Safe has actually come out of a response to a policy document that Early Childhood Australia put together with a digital policy group that they set up. In 2018, they published a document that was called the Statement on Young Children and Digital Technologies. And that statement was addressing the fact that there has always been a lot of discussion and talk about screen time and the limits on screen time for young children. That has a history that goes back all the way to the early 90s when the Association of American Pediatrics put out a policy statement around children and screens. And that policy has dictated that young children should have very limited screen time. Over several years, what we've identified is that that policy isn't holding in the reality of the world in which we live because children are spending more and more times in front of screens. And the statement was a response to say, well, if children are, how do we best use not just screens, but technology more generally to support young children's learning and their well-being and their development across a range of different domains? And the four domains the statement works in are relationships, health and well-being, citizenship, and play and learning. So that's a document that talks at a high level and has been informed by a lot of academics around how we should go about doing this and playing it safe is the first real attempt to say, well, this is what it can look like at that level of, of a preschool or a long daycare centre and how an educator can use and practically support children in those four domains around digital technology. We don't expect children to instinctively know how to read. Do we sometimes think that they will instinctively know how to, how to cope with the digital world, how to use digital devices and understand the mechanisms and you know, the underlying politics of them? I think so. I think that concept of digital natives came out reasonably early, particularly as the mobile technology revolution began. And that's because we saw children suddenly engaging with touchscreens in ways that we found to be quite amazing. And in some ways it was, but also in other ways it wasn't because the touchscreens that we use have been really well designed to work with basic human fine motor skills. So the type of skills or the type of movements that you need to use with your fingers and hands are the types of movements that you first develop as a very young child. 
So sometimes it looks like children really know what they're doing and can navigate their ways around technology really well. And, and in a practical sense, they can. But that doesn't mean there's not a whole lot of other information that they don't have because they are young children. And so they don't necessarily understand what they're doing or they don't. You know, a four year old doesn't understand the concept of what the Internet is. And when you say to a two and a half year old, oh, let's take a photo and send it to grandma on our phone. They don't necessarily have a concept of what that means. And so playing it safe is really about going, how do you support children at their age and stage of development to understand those concepts and to understand them well? In the same way that we start reading to children and talking to them about their ABCs on their journey towards learning to read and write in primary school. So we're trying to do the same thing with digital technology and online safety. And you take a, a play-based approach to this, don't you? Well, absolutely, because in early childhood education, we know that the work of children and the way children learn best is through play. So all of the activities that we've designed for uh, early childhood educators to use are play-based and fit very well within that concept of a preschool or uh, a childcare centre and look very similar. So this isn't about necessarily putting a whole bunch of tablets or phones in front of children and having them do things with technology. It's about using the world in which they live and play to understand how technology works and what that means in their day-to-day -day life. Playing It Safe has been developed in conjunction with the Australian Federal Police and the Office of Australia's eSafety Commissioner, whose own research suggests that somewhere around 81% of preschoolers are already using the internet. The online portal includes several games and information for parents and educators. You know, we talk a lot about the uh, educator-parent-child triad. You know, young children, parents really are their first teacher. They're the adult who sp they spend the most time with. So adults play a role in this. But also early childhood educators play a crucial role in spending time with children, but also in supporting parents to understand their own child's learning and to support that not just in the early learning environment, but at home. So Playing It Safe has a range of activities that we developed in partnership with educators. We had this co-design incubator, we called it, where we had educators workshop and, and trial the activities and adapt them and change them as we went so that they used them in their early learning environment so that we're giving activities that we know have been tried and tested in preschools and in childcare centres. But what we've also done is focused on creating some small digital interactives that we're really happy with that draw on the work of the Joan Garns Cooney Centre in the United States, who talk a lot about the importance of co-viewing. So we know that for literacy, it's really important to adults to sit and read with children and just for children to be exposed to the process of reading and doing that. And their early work has suggested that the same thing applies to digital technology. So we've designed some sort of interactive, small interactive games, you could call them games in a way, that parents and young children can sit at a computer or at a tablet together and to actually undertake those activities that they teach them something basic about a concept relating to digital technology. But also a lot of it is just about the idea of parents and children spending time together on technology, uh, because that's an important thing in terms of children's learning. And what does it say? Who can help? Who can help? And what does this one say? Play. Play. Let's play. Let's play. Okay. You see something online that makes you feel scared. Who can help? Who will help this time if it's something scary that you see online on the iPad or the phone? Nanny and Poppy. Nanny and Poppy. Okay, click the button for me. Let's see. Great idea. Your grandparents can help you feel safe online. Is there anyone else? 
Now, one of the games that children can play on the site involves setting up what you term a family technology plan. Just explain how that works and why that's important. What's the value of that? Yeah, so a family technology plan isn't a new idea. It's a tool to allow parents and children to begin talking to one another. But what hasn't happened in the past is that there haven't been really any tools or any devices that have considered what that means for very young children. So we're really proud of the family technology plan and the way we've designed it. It allows for parents and young children to sit together and have discussions about how technology should be used in the house. It veers away from the idea of here's a set amount of time that you use technology and more talks about the where's and the when's of using technology. The focus is also to make it very visual because young children are pre-literate. So it's something that you can make some choices on a screen. It generates a PDF document that can be printed out and stuck on the fridge. But it means that you can do things like, say, mum can't use her phone at the kitchen table. Or we will, you know, these people in the family can use the gaming console in the afternoon. To try and structure it to sort of say this is not just about the amount of time, it's about the context in which the technology is being used and to encourage families to think about not necessarily needing to have technology in bedrooms, which we know is important for not just young children, but children as they get older. So if you set those boundaries early, it makes it a lot easier as children grow up through primary school and into the teenage years. But it also means that families and adults can begin to think about their behaviour and how their behaviour impacts on children's understanding of technology. Because we do know that the way, another way that children learn is by observing the world around them. So if they observe a world where everybody's looking at mobile phones, no wonder they're wanting to reach out and use and play with mobile phones because they seem like a pretty important thing in the world in which we live. Dan Donahue from the Alana and Madeline Foundation. You can find a link to Playing It Safe on our website. And I should mention that just a few days ago, the project announced a pilot program for further skills development that will involve over 500 early childhood educators. It's being funded by Gandalf Philanthropy. Now, another person involved in the development of Playing It Safe was Professor Susie Edwards, the director of the Early Childhood Futures Research Program at the Australian Catholic University. Our research group actually did some research to find out what do four-year-olds think the internet is. And a lot of very young children, they think the internet is the social practices that you engage in. So they would say to us, oh, the internet is playing games or the internet is, you know, talking to nanny, video conferencing, or mummy uses the internet for work. So really young children, they've got a really sophisticated understanding of the social aspects of the internet, but they don't yet necessarily understand that what the internet is referring to from a technical aspect is a whole series of technologies that are networked with each other through a variety of means. And it's the fact that technologies are networked with each other that means anyone, anywhere, anytime can use that network for many different purposes. And that's where that element of risk can be incurred because children don't necessarily know who else is using the internet and what they might be wanting to use the internet for. And so when we're starting to think about cyber safety for really young children and for their families and their educators, we need to help them understand both the social dimensions of the internet and the technical dimensions of the internet. We still do hear, don't we, people talking about this idea of digital natives. Does that complicate things that that sort of terminology is still around? And oh, I mean, I've heard it from politicians recently. Yeah, I think that the digital natives idea has sort of been largely debunked in the academic literature and in the research as well. 
So it never emerged as a highly sort of theorised or researched concept. It became an idea that captured the popular imagination. This idea that children are, you know, naturally able to use technology and the research actually is, is quite to the contrary. And it shows that children learn to use technologies in the same way they learn many, many things in their life. So children learn language by being part of their families, by having interactions to and fro, what are called serve and return, interactions with significant people in their lives. Children learn to use technologies in exactly the same way. They will watch very, very, very carefully how adults in their lives, in their immediate families are using technologies, how and why technologies are used, when technologies are used. When children start to become old enough to use technologies themselves, parents will guide them in, in a way that in what's called scaffolding or supporting children's use. Like, you know, they'll often take their hands and say, touch here, point here. And then parents are also, and caregivers are also really quite careful, I think, to teach children guidelines around their technology use. And that also becomes part of the children's understandings about technologies. So, it's not that children are digital natives who implicitly understand how to use technology. It's more that if you want to use that concept, they're only native to the extent that they're learning the digital cultural aspects of the life that they're in anyway. I just wonder how important the development of the touchscreen was in terms of very small children, in terms of toddlers and their use of technology. Did that make a, a significant difference? The touchscreen made a massive difference. For a long time, there was significant debate in early childhood for or against technologies. You know, technologies are not good for really young children or people would say, oh, it hampers their imagination, it stops them being physically active. And then others would argue, no, no, it gives them great opportunities for problem solving or whatever. And when the touchscreen came, it's so intuitive and it took away the barrier to internet access and technology access that had been cast by the mouse and the keyboard. So really young children, they didn't have the physical fine motor capacity to operate the mouse and the keyboard. They didn't have the literacy skills. And the other thing that came with touch screens was the increase in multimodality. So that means multiple modes of accessing and communicating information. So children didn't have to be able to read to know what to do. So you could get audio prompts and audio commands, video icons and all of those sorts of things made touch screens a very accessible technology for really, really younger children. And once that happens, parents and educators particularly have had to engage with the implications of how we're going to make sure that technology happens in the very best interests of young children. So we now know a lot more about the way young children relate to technology and the digital world. But there's still a lot more research to do. Professor Susan Danby is based at the Queensland University of Technology, and she's recently been appointed to head a new $35 million Australian Research Council project called the Centre of Excellence for the Digital Child. We have a longitudinal family cohort study of 3,000 families, and that will get off the ground next year. We'll be starting with looking at the young, very young children as they're starting to use digital technology and following them through for at least six years. In the same year, next year, we will also be starting a second wave of observations, starting with children who are four years of age. So key focus of our work is in the early years. And there really has been very little done internationally or nationally in that space. So QUT is the lead institution and we're working very closely with our wonderful university partners from the University of Queensland, the University of Wollongong 
Deakin University, Edith Cowan University and Curtin University. The way that this centre has been built is to recognise that you really can't look at just one part of a child's life. So we've brought together people with a huge range of expertise from people who, who know an awful lot about the early childhood years through to people who are tech innovators, tech developers, people who understand that we need to understand what children are doing with toys and the internet of toys, how the media is involved. Where do children's digital citizen rights fit into this? How can we support educators to be doing innovative and interesting things with children in classrooms? And how can we support families as well to give really good guidelines? So we've brought together a whole range of people across health and education and media and technology psychology, we have neuroscientists on board, to really look at this in a very holistic way, to understand, for instance, what is the relationship between children's sleep and children's interactions with digital technology? How can we support young children to be very physically active using digital technology, right through to how can we innovate and design really appropriate technology for young children and not have it look like something that you might expect in a high school, for instance. A lot of the discussion around young children and technology, and indeed even older children and technology, seems to often focus on this notion of screen time. Yes. Does that get in the way of a proper analysis, that, that simple focus on screen time? Does that sometimes become counterproductive? It's the go-to position that people have. When they think about digital technology, they immediately jump to screen time and of course, it has played an important role in digital technology, but it is only one part of the digital technology world. So yes, there will be some time looking at screen time and the effects of that, but it's much broader than that. We're also very interested in what does it mean to be a digital citizen when you're five years old? What does it mean to be engaged in using these commercial resources? Where is your privacy in that? So even for families who may not have any digital devices at home, they're still caught up in this digital world when they go to see their health practitioner, when they sit their national tests at school. All of that data is being collected digitally. And so what is this meaning for family life, everyday family life? Now, of course, uh, across the world at the moment, there is a lockdown because of the coronavirus. Do you expect, and, and you know, many of us are, are forced or encouraged to use our digital devices much more than we mm. did prior to the lockdown. Do you expect that to, to yield some insights into the way in which children use technology? It's interesting. I think already the debate has shifted. The debate used to be, pre-COVID, the debate was, should young children have digital technology or not? I mean, And if you look at all of the media, the newspaper headlines, it was always based around that sort of question. You know, here are the terrible things that can happen with young children with digital technology, or here are some great things. But it was always this big question around, should children, young children, have access to digital technology? How much, for what purpose? And it was this big whether, whether or not we should do it. But that debate has almost changed almost overnight. It's, it's fascinating. So now the debate is, we know we're living in a world where the digital is absolutely important. How can we make the digital experiences as good as they can be? How can we make them the very best for children and families and all of us who are now caught up in this digital world? It's been a very major shift in that debate from should we to now we have it, let's make it the very best that we can. Professor Susan Danby, and you're listening to Future Tense, an ABC Radio National production. I'm Anthony Fennell. 
Moving away from the kindergarten now, let's head to high school. Worry about less, and are there some things that we're talking about too little that we're focusing on that we're not equipping you with the future that you think we should instead uh, be more focused on? Um, I definitely think adults are like covering most of the challenges and problems we have on social media, like they're talking about all the right things, but um. This is a student workshop that was run last year in Sydney as part of an experimental online ethics project called Digital Compass. Like playing it safe, the initiative is about working with the young to help them build skills for dealing with online interactions. Once again, the Alana and Madeline Foundation is involved, this time partnering with the Sydney-based consultancy, the Behavioural Insights Team. Program Director, Sheridan Hartley. So the Digital Compass program really started with looking at how we could better support young people to behave ethically in what's a pretty complex digital world. We recognise that adolescence has always been a time when young people transition from childhood into really becoming socially conscious adults where you know they learn the skills about how we maintain sort of social cohesion and that's really what ethics is all about like how we relate to each other and how we get on and our funder recognized that this was becoming potentially more challenging for young people to do this transition and to do this kind of growing up into being a socially conscious adult in a digital world where the environment, the the digital and the technology environment in which young people are doing this has changed quite significantly and it means some fundamental changes in the way that transition happens. So, for example, the fact that when you're online, you don't actually get a lot of the cues that help you pick up on how someone is feeling or reacting to what you're doing or saying. So you don't have those normal visual cues around empathy and facial recognition cues that help you decide how your actions are impacting others. And that's just one example of what's happened with these digital and technology environments, which are really impacting the way young people develop in these spaces to transition into this, what we call socially conscious adults. How many misunderstandings and how much misconception is there in the community about the way in which young people, particularly teenagers, use digital tools and their digital literacy skills? So over the course of the program and the development of the Digital Compass program, we've been working on this for close to three years now. And over the course of that, we've engaged with more than 500 young people to design the program and to understand how they use technology and its role in their lives. And the most significant finding that we have from that discussion with young people is that it's much more nuanced than the way it is portrayed. So for young people, largely being online is a very positive experience. There are certainly sticky situations and difficult situations, but for the most part, it is a very positive experience and they are doing lots of very positive things online for a lot of young people who otherwise might feel marginalised or excluded. They find communities or spaces online where they can really connect with others. And a lot of the more kind of salient behaviours that get discussed in the media around cyberbullying and a lot of the really kind of pointy end of the behaviours, as far as young people are concerned, it doesn't really paint an accurate picture of the day-to-day reality for them. There is a lot of focus on risk, isn't there, when we talk about teenagers and their, their use of digital devices? 
Yes, a lot of the kind of current programs and solutions are based around risk reduction. And therefore, what the solution then becomes is avoidance or telling young people to turn it off. And what young people tell us is those solutions are just not practical. Young people's lives are online. And so it's very difficult when they get advice, like, well, just walk away from it. Just shut your computer down. Turn away. Don't comment. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. And so what they're really sort of crying out for is um, more practical solutions around what they can actually do. And I often feel that um, young people can't always relate to adults. That's why they don't really go to them to ask for help if they do get into any trouble. It's not a matter of them being a helicopter parent, finding out everything you're doing, being involved and feeling like your privacy is being invaded. It's just a matter of them teaching you how to be a good person. And that's what we really need with programs like Digital Compass and being able to talk about with your peers and everything like so that. So last year's pilot of the project involved consulting and working with 156 students from five schools. Phase two was to have begun earlier this year, but alas, a certain virus got in the way. Sheridan Hartley says they're now in discussions to move it forward. Yeah, so the next phase for the program is to take it to what we call trial. So now that we have taken it to pilot and we have a program that we feel is the the right delivery model for the program and also that the pilot suggests to us that it's looking like it it could actually work, we now take it to trial, a randomised control trial, where we give it to some students and we don't give it to other students and we compare the difference between them. And by doing that and by randomly allocating students to those two groups, we can say with a degree of confidence that it is our program that's driving the difference in the outcomes because that's the only difference between the two groups if they've been randomly allocated. So our intention is very much to formally evaluate the program in that way and we are engaging the schools at the moment to determine when might be an appropriate time that we could run that trial. The funder who we have worked with on this program, the Vincent Fairfax Family Foundation, who have been you know, funding this program the entire time, is you know, very willing and very committed to the evaluation process. So hopefully it will happen this year, but if not, it may be delayed until next year. And what's the, what would you say is the, the main benefit of the approach that you've taken? What's the selling point for this type of program? What's really quite critical about this program is... When we talk about it for young people and what it means for young people, one of the most powerful sort of selling points is that Digital Compass really helps young people work out what they can do online. So many programs go into schools and tell young people about what they can't do, but young people are crying out sort of help and support and practical advice around what they can do. So what this program actually does is it gives young people sort of practical skills and solutions for how they can behave online. It is very much focused on behaviour. So it's not about attitudinal change. Our approach to all of our work is about changing behaviour. And the way we design solutions is we review all of the evidence and the scientific literature around how do we change that behaviour. And the behaviour we want to change here is a young person's ethical behaviour online. And that really comes down to two things, which is how pro-social they are online, and we'd like to increase that and reduce incidents of antisocial online behaviour. So that might be things like excluding someone from a group chat or bigger but less frequent antisocial behaviours like unsolicited image sharing. 
So the program is based on evidence, which is all about how we drive that behaviour change. So for young people, it's about helping them work out what they can do and giving them those skills that they can then apply as the environment changes. That's really one of the key important factors about technology and supporting young people is that when we started this program two years ago, there was hardly anybody using TikTok. Now, when we talk to young people, TikTok's one of their favourite platforms and something that they use. So we've designed the program in a way that's platform agnostic. So it doesn't really matter what platform they're on or what they're doing because it's about giving them understanding about ethics and their ethical behaviour and practical skills around how they can treat other people well online and sort of, you know, develop into these socially conscious adults, that can be applied in any context. So if a new platform comes along later, it doesn't really matter what the platform is, its principles still apply. Sheridan Hartley. And for any details about any of the initiatives we've heard about today, simply go to the Future Tense website. Karen Savanovitz is my colleague and co-producer. I'm Anthony Fennell. Until next time. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.